Hello, how are you? I hope you're having a fantastic day. Um, thank you for being here. Um, and uh, I'm we're back. We're back on the truck. Back on the train. Back something. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an exciting past two weeks um but the funny thing is is that and you know if you want if you know one thing about me it's that we can be very very real sometimes and full disclosure i just had like five minutes <laughs> of this like whole episode pre-recorded and uh definitely did not um push the record button like I had I had been rambling on for like five minutes and none of it was actually recording so uh yeah <laughs> here we are going on round two of uh um, starting this intro so here we are um last two weeks so last week you got to hear from Megan from uh Puddle Jump Plant Company uh, from New Hampshire. Megan came down to the farm. We were hanging out for a couple couple days, um, and she got to immerse herself, or maybe we submerged her, um, in the beginning of our spring shipping season. So she got to help package up um, the vast majority of our Dahlia Tour packages, um, and then we basically threw her in with the crew, um, got to work alongside Ashley and Julio and Shane and Tim, um, harvesting uh, Dahlia cuttings, chrysanthemum cuttings, sticking them um, into plug flats and trays and and all of the above so um that's what we were up to last week the week before that you got to hear my uh very candid uh hashtag drew after dark <laughs> episode with crin uh from bloom chick flower company in tennessee and that episode was uh pre-recorded uh we recorded that um this past winter when i was uh visiting and traveling and uh, getting to hang out with everybody so um we we released that two weeks ago this week um i was originally planning on talking about uh sedan geraniums which is what we're still going to talk about um but at first i when i had the the topic on the queue it was um, you know, what are your top three varieties or the top five varieties of Senna geraniums? And while we could, we could definitely do a, an, a, a topic or an episode on that alone, um, there's so much more when it comes to scented geraniums um, that we can and should uh, be, be talking about and covering. So um, for today's episode, we will be covering the uh, vast wide world of scented geraniums, but we're going to cover, you know, more than just variety specifics. We're going to talk about uh, scented geraniums from a propagation perspective, from holding over from season to season. We'll talk about a, a few very key specific varieties. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what to expect when you're growing them in different environments, different conditions, um, and uh, what you can, you know, do with that information and, and you know, you can handle that how you so choose. Um, so with all of that in mind, that's what we've got going on today. Um, I figure we probably should do an intro. Um, this is the Between Me and Drew podcast. Um, I'm Drew, believe it or not. Um, and uh, I have um, the great honor of uh, 
owning, operating, and running Clara Joyce Flowers. Um, Clara Joyce Flowers is my specialty cut flower farm um, located in northwestern Illinois. Um, we operate this with a tremendous group of people, um, and uh, we are multifaceted, um, and I think that really adds a lot of value to to what we what we have what we grow what we grow what we have grown as a business um and and where we are um when i say multifaceted our our company is divided into three main parts um we have our wholesale production uh for cut stems where we deliver and ship to uh, floral wholesalers, uh, f- wedding and event florists, uh, commercial production florists, etc. Um, primarily in the Midwest region of the United States. Um, my mic just ran away. We're back now. Uh, the second facet is young plants and propagation, um, which is really the season that we're finding ourselves now in, or in right now, um, being that we're still considered, you know, spring season here. Um, and then the final portion of our company company is uh, our wedding and event production. So that's what we do here. That's what we've got going on. Um, and I think that this really, though that multifaceted perspective, um, really lends a hand on topics like today because a a single crop um like scented geranium um will fit into all three of those facets and i think that um we have you know a nice nice well-rounded perspective with that uh with that in mind so let's break into this shall we and before we get too far along, if you hear like a, a tappy tap in the background or a jingle jangle, um, that's my dog. Uh, her name is Sasha. She is floating around the office today. Um, it's actually the end of the day, and uh, she's she's quite ready for some playtime. So um, you'll you'll be hearing her in the background. Uh, so that's what that is. So um, geraniums. I've grown geraniums for a very long time. Um, they were one of the you know, first foliages that I, I grew and propagated. Um, and it was it, it was a crop that could be propagated very easily from cuttings. And I was uh, an absolute junkie when it came to any type of plant that I could grow under lights for propagation over the winter, constantly be cutting it up and chopping it up, um, and, you know, go in with maybe four or five plants uh, in, in, you know, late fall. And then in the spring, come out with trays and trays and trays. Um, so um, from a propagation perspective, which I think is where we're going to start um, our, our discussion today, they are very easy, very, very easy to propagate. Um, you can take tip cuttings where you have the terminal bud. You can take stem cuttings where you have a stem portion, a leaf node, and a leaf attachment, like um, a leaf itself. Um, you can do this with new wood. You can do this with old wood. You can, uh, if you have a huge, very established mother, you can, you know, do like a full divide with it. Um, so, the plant is very versatile, um, and I think that that can be a little intimidating uh, for some people. If you're if you're new to 
you know, working with synodrenums or really with if you're new to working with any type of mother material, uh, it can be a little daunting to really get in there and start chopping that shit up because you don't want to you don't want to take too much off and you don't want to put it under too much stress and you don't want to kill it and you don't want to, you know, X, Y, Z. And I understand that. And that's great. But fucking it up is how you learn sometimes. So and trust me, I've killed plenty of geraniums. Um <laughs> And, and we've learned along the way. Um, so my like key or go-to, that's that's a better word. My go-to method of, of propagating mums is to um, source some, you know, really great varieties, whether you have a specialty nursery that is in your area or that you know is, you know, within driving distance um, where you can, you know, go shop and pick up one, two or three of a, you know, a specific variety that you can, you know, grow out in a container over the summer um, and then take them into the fall um, and, you know, keep them in your basement under lights or in your sunroom or hell in your kitchen window. Um, Side note, these do make very fine houseplants. Um, if you have bright light, uh, they'll do just fine. Um, but if you don't have that option of going to a nursery or a specialty plant store that you know stocks this type of material, um, there are ample amount of places for you to purchase scented geraniums online. Um, and you know it might look different for you than it does for us because when it comes to us sourcing in new varieties you know we're looking abroad we're looking for unrooted plant material coming from israel or mexico or guatemala where we're buying in you know a couple thousand unrooted cuttings to provide that variety in mass and in volume for a cut product uh, for that same year that's not how i started though at all um my method and avenue and route that I started with Senadraniums was I was driving to our specialty nursery that was like 35, 40 minutes away. Um, and I purchased like one four inch pot of each variety of Senadranium that they had. And that was how I got going. Um, and the only reason they had the Senadraniums was because there was this gardening junkie who had spent his life, not maybe not his whole life, but a good portion of it, collecting these unique and rare geraniums from hell, who knows, all over the world. Um, and then he just gave his collection to this garden center, and they started propagating them, and that's you know, that's how that story went. Um, you know, unfortunately, that garden center has since closed, and I've lost a lot of the varieties that I had at one point in time. Um, so kind of that that magic or that that wonder is still out there <laughs> at some point we'll we'll be able to recreate it but not right now um at this stage in the game for us we're really focused on um strong strong production varieties um for our primary cuts and then we have also a few in the collection that are more of your specialty things um so at this stage, we've covered propagation. Uh, well, not really, kind of. Let's backtrack. Um, for propagated material, um, you, you're you harvesting a cutting in some capacity, whether it's, like I said before, a tip, a stem, new wood, old wood, whatever. Um, 
and it doesn't need to be huge. The smaller the plant material is usually a better route to go um, across the board uh, because you have less transpiration. The, that cutting, those leaves, will use less water if the cutting is physically smaller or has parts of the leaf material taken off. Um, that will put less stress on the plant because that's less moisture that that stem has to absorb to keep it itself alive. Um, and it will, you know, perform better because of that. Um, once you've harvested your cutting and you've trimmed off, you know, portions of the leaves, um, when it comes to trimming leaves, I usually say take half to two thirds off. So you still have some leaf base for photosynthesis and then chlorophyll production. Um, but it, you don't need it. You need all of it. Um, once you have that, then you can stick that cutting into a uh, strip tray or a cell tray or just a small pod um, of some sort of growing media. Um, you can use germination mix. You can use a general use potting soil. You can use garden soil. Um, the biggest thing is you're going to want to make sure that your mix or your soil blend or whatever you're using um, has good drainage. Um, I found that Senegeraniums, um, since it is typically, usually, a larger stem base that you're working with, um, I've had more struggles with rot, actually, if mixes are too wet or there's not enough drainage. Um, and that's where basically the stem will rot from the bottom, and uh, then you're 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 no good. Um, I've I've rooted geraniums with uh, rooting hormone. I've done them without. Um, it's really you know the how you have your your program and your setup set up. Um, when I was doing this in my basement, um, I was dipping everything into a powdered rooting hormone. Um, when we started propagating in the greenhouses outside, um, I wasn't using rooting hormone. Now that we're propagating in the greenhouses, but we're also shipping and selling these things, um, for efficiency uh, purposes, we're not dipping each individual cutting. Um, we are injecting a rooting hormone into the irrigation water. So then as we are watering, there is a consistent low-dose supply of a plant hormone um, coming into contact with that vegetative material. Um, we've covered that uh, hormone in many episodes previously, um, but regardless of how many times we cover it, we always get questions on it. Um, and I think that that... I think about that for a few reasons. Um, it kind of shows me that there is a very large part of the nursery and the green industry that people are not aware of. Um, and it kind of shows that we need to all continue to learn and investigate and not take things just as they are um, because there are lots of materials and lots of products, both organic and synthetic, that you can use to aid in propagation, rooting, plant habit, etc. Um, when it comes to rooting, um, there's there's a ratio or a, a recipe, I guess we 
we can say we should follow. And if one of those ingredients or those components or those factors is not in alignment or within the, the uh, correct proportion, uh, things can go wrong or they go slower. Um, for us, that, that ratio um, or that combination um, usually falls out of alignment when it comes into, it comes into temperature um, or you factor in temperature. Um, our greenhouses are larger, I would say. No, they're not huge. We're propagating in a in a, in a thirty-four by ninety-six foot house. Um, it's a it's a larger space than we are used to heating because our previous propagation house was eighteen by ninety-six, but that's full of plant material for mother cuttings now. Um, so now we're we're propagating and rooting and seed starting in the bigger houses, um, and that's this was the first year for that, and it's been a little bit of a learning curve for sure. Um, the, those buildings have taller roofs, so the heat is rising more. Um, it is a larger space. There is more wall surface area. There is, there's just more of everything. Um, and it's been a struggle to keep that space at a warm enough temperature, temperature. Um, usually, ideally, we would be between 65 and 75. Um, and, uh, that's been a challenge. And because of that, that slowed down our spring rooting. Um, so, which is why we've had to push back the chrysanthemum ship dates and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but back to the rooting hormone, there's two hormones that we use. Um, we use cytokin and cytoplex. Uh, they're two different hormones. Um, they are, I believe I could be wrong. I believe they are both, um, Considered by Miller Chemical, which is the producer of these materials, uh, could they're considered organic, um, quote unquote, handle that how you so choose, um, and they work well. They work lovely. Uh, previous to this year, we were basically exclusively working with Cytokin. Uh, we added in Cytoplex this spring, and maybe my Cytokin, my my Cytoplex. Nope, hold up. Previously, we were working with Cytokin, C-Y-T-O-K-I-N. This spring, we added in Cytoplex, C-Y-T-O-P-L-E-X. I'm picturing the bottles in the in my head right now. I'm not sure if our Cytokin bottle was old or what the deal was, but it, it just wasn't, wasn't pulling through this spring. Um, so that's when we brought in the Cytoplex, and that has really, really made the rooting uh, process pick up. So that's wonderful. Um, we purchase those chemicals or those, uh, hormones through, uh, Nolts Midwest produce supply. I would imagine that the East coast location has that product line as well. Um, and we are injecting those through our chemalizer, uh, which is a one to 100 ratioed, um, injection, injection system that, um, we run, we, we hook up basically right to the hydrant. Um, and then whatever we have in the concentrate bucket gets siphoned into the irrigation line. And then from there gets hit over, um, we're watered into the flats or whatever we're, we're watering with that. Um, when it comes to uh, a size of container, uh, we're rooting geraniums into a 50-cell uh, plug flat. 
Um, Senadrinium cuttings and plant material in general uh, is quite large and leafy. Um, so I found that using a larger cell works great for those. Um, gives them more space. We don't really have to ever bump them up. We can plant them right onto that. We can ship them just like that. Um, and it, it, it works quite lovely. Um, so here we go. <laughs> we've, we've in more depth now talked about propagation of Senadriniums. So that's, you know what I know. So here we go. Uh, on to step two. Um, when it comes to specific varieties of scented geraniums, there are a few that I think are very well known in the industry. Uh, there's a few that really carry their weight uh, very, very well. Um, one of them is a tar of roses. It's a very classic. It's very well known, um, does quite well. Um, it has a, I would say a medium size leaf. It's not small. It's not ungodly huge. Um, and it does, it does very well. Um, another one that I'm very fond of is sweet mimosa. Um, sweet mimosa has a larger leaf, uh, than a tar of roses did. Um, it has a darker stem, um, still, you know, kind of that, um, lighter green, uh, foliage itself. Um, they both smell lovely. Um, from there, you can kind of break it down into two ways. Uh, you have your bicolors and then you have your small specialty ones. Um, that's, that's how we approach our lineup. Um, so when it comes to bicolors, we have, um, three actually, and I don't think one of them is listed on our website. <gasps> oh my God. So we have tricolor, uh, which is not technically quote unquote i'm i should also say that i am not a plant snob to the caliber that others are um and uh oh the dog's back um <laughs> this this tricolor variety that we run um is going to be a slower grower um, I probably would not suggest it for a grower who does not have some sort of covered space, like a greenhouse or a tunnel, uh, just because it, it does take a little bit longer to really get going. Um, now, if you were to compare that to the other bicolor that we have, uh, or we did have available, um, which is what we call hot pink, um, then night and day difference. Um, hot pink gets very, very tall. Um, it is also a flowering variety. Um, and it's lovely. It, it really should have some support when it comes to growing because it does get so tall. Um, and you can cut off of it all day long and it does very, very well. Um, the other one that we have is called Lady Plymouth. It is a orange, oh, I should say hot pink. That variety, um, is a darker green base leaf, um, with kind of like a, a burgundy-esque, um, uh, center portion of the leaf. It's very pretty, uh, works very, very well in late summer and fall, uh, with kind of that muddy autumnal palette. Gorgeous. Um, now the flip side of that is going to be Lady Plymouth. Lady Plymouth is kind of like a, a green base leaf, but it has a white tipping or a cream tipping on all of the leaves. And the leaf has more of a lacy structure to it too. So that one lends a very strong hand to 
um, late spring, summer um, wedding and event work where it's it's a little more lighter color palette, um, more dainty, more garden inspired. Um, but you could definitely work it into a you know fall or if you have a greenhouse into a winter um, winter look as well. So that one does delightful. Um, now, if we move into kind of like our third avenue or third channel of uh, Senegeraniums, you get into your more specialty ones. Um, so this is going to be things that I would consider to be a little smaller in the plant uh, habit, plant structure. Um, and there's one that I absolutely have fallen in love with, and that is fragrance. Um, it is a Senegeranium. It is quite small um last year they only got about a foot tall um and it has this leaf that really doesn't get bigger than like a half dollar more realistically it's about the size of a quarter um it has this you know kind of like a, a peach fuzz glaze over the leaf and it has the softest just sweet and delightful fragrance um it's amazing um, it has these really, really cute little soft, soft lavender, uh, broken trumpet flowers. Very cute. Um, and uh, I'm a big fan, big fan of fragrance. It's, you know, perfect for like itty bitty little bouquets or worked into a boutonniere as like an accenting piece um, or worked into like a small kind of higher end classy compote centerpiece where you just need something kind of dainty kind of coming over the side or, or poking out um, the flowers from that. Perfect, 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 perfect. And they have these cute little leaves on the stem, and it's just, it's delightful. Um, definitely one that, you know, you're, you know you're going to consider as a specialty add-on. Um, I probably wouldn't plant 100 bed feet of fragrance and expect it to pull through as your primary foliage for, you know, your summer bouquet lineup. Um, but, you know, maybe plant 10 feet or 20 feet of it um, and uh, tuck it in as as you can uh, into those little specialty things for a little special moment. Um, still staying in that thought concept or, or process uh, or area, um, another one that I've had some experience with is Orange Fizz. Um, Orange Fizz has... Um, I think a little more of a unique plant habit from a structural perspective. Um, it's a little more compact. The uh, leaf nodes have been closer together, um, and it really smells citrusy. Um, the leaves have kind of this oddly unique shape to them, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, the... <laughs> I remember like running my hands over the flats in the greenhouses today and the orange fizz flats, they're just papery, maybe they have a sharp feel to them. It's very interesting. It's very unique. You know, it's not like your typical sweet mimosa or, you know, a tar of roses where they have that soft, lush, velvety feel um, that it's it's different. Um, it's fun. It's nice. It's unique. It's different. Um, and, uh, they work, they work quite well. So, um, from a variety perspective, those are a few of our favorites. They're ones that we grow and propagate on our own. 
Um, th these are some of the ones that I've had in, in the collection for, for quite a while. Um, so when we kind of move into the next step or the next point of talking about where and how these uh, grow best and, you know, how to get them to perform. And, and I kind of touched on this with tricolor. Um, but we have experience growing these in, in two spaces, um, in the field and undercover. Um, we'll talk about in the field first because I feel like there's are, there are a lot of people who can relate to this. Um, in the field, you you can you can grow anything in the field if you try hard enough. Okay, um, when it comes to geraniums and, and, and scented geraniums, um, you are probably not going to want to expect to harvest anything off of these right away. Um, these are are plants that take a little bit to get established. You know, they're going to take a couple weeks to really get going and moving and figure out their groove and you know this is this is not like a bells of ireland where it you know thrives under cold temperatures and blah 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 blah, blah. um scented geraniums are a little little different um however once your plants do get established and you've pinched them to encourage branching so you have more manageable stems um and you kind of are playing the patient game um, until you get into mid to early late summer, um, then you can really start to hack off of these things with uh, as much vigor as you as you need. Um, because once you start cutting, then they really go crazy. Um, and uh, you will notice that if you do have the ability to plant scented geraniums or any geranium really, um, both in the field and undercover, um, you will see a large difference very quickly. Um, geraniums in the field tend to be a little shorter, more compact. Um, they don't usually have a lot of windbreak in the field here, um, so the plants are going to stay um, a little more stout uh, because of that, because of that constant uh, movement from the wind. Um, their lignin con content is going to be higher. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to think we haven't grown geraniums in the field for a while. So I'm, I'm really digging back into, into the memory banks. Um, the one thing that really stuck out to me when we did these in the field, and I, I don't know why this could be a fluke. This could be complete bullshit. Who knows? Um, I was always having problems with geraniums that year wilting almost immediately. And I couldn't understand why. Um, and kind of the the workaround that we found was uh, a product called quick dip um it's a product it's a liquid product made by flora life you can usually find it at all of your local floral wholesalers or supply houses um and uh, it, it was a solution that we would dip the ends of the stems into after they were harvested and then they would go right into clean water um and then they would you know go through this like semi-wilty period and then they would perk up and they'd be great and lovely. Um, this past season, we had all the geraniums in, under plastic. They were uh, under some greenhouses um, and they got huge, very, very huge. Um, we did not provide uh, support for them. That was a mistake. 
uh, we just let them sprawl on the floor. Um, and they sprawled for sure. Um, and they sent out lots of laterals and they were very, very happy. Um, and the, the product and material held up very well. Um, we used them for some different photo shoots in late season. We used them for bouquets, um, for lots of things and they did very well. Um, I think when it comes to the com- comparing the two spaces, the the biggest difference is going to come into play or come into factor in the height of of the material. Um, you know, when you're growing under plastic, you're you're taking away a few different things. Um, you're taking away the majority, not all of, but the majority of uh, the wind that is uh, brushing up and moving those stems around in the field. Um, you are factoring in or adding in an element of uh, light deprivation or shade through the plastic. Um, every layer of plastic that you have over your greenhouses, whether it's one layer or two layers, is adding a certain value of shade. Um, that shade is going to make your stems stretch and grow taller and longer. Um, now, if you were to add on a piece of shade cloth, whether it's 30% shade, 50% shade, I probably wouldn't go more than 50%, um, then they're going to get even taller because the that those leaf nodes um, are going to be farther and farther apart as that plant is trying to grow towards the sun more and more. Um, so that's another thing to, to keep in mind. And that, that rule or that, that process applies to literally everything that you uh, can and will Uh, grow in in a greenhouse setting Um, those are very basic plant fundamentals that's how that's how they work Um, and that's how that that process works so let's see what else do we have oh last point Um, and this is okay so you've up until this point You've selected your varieties, you have propagated, you have found your planting space, you've grown them out, you've learned about them, um, and you're kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Um, Well, you can do a lot of shit with these at this stage in the game. Um, If you don't have any Senegeranium mothers potted up now in a pot or in a heated space, um, you, you need to do this before they get frozen out in the fall. Um, scented geraniums cannot handle a heavy freeze. The mothers will die. And when the mothers die and they die back to the roots and then the roots die, then you are shit out of luck, girl. Like starting over. Um, and that happens. I will say that happens, uh, to everyone. So be prepared. Um, it's always a great idea to keep one, two, or three, maybe five, of each variety potted up in pots that you can, you know, tuck into your landscaping throughout the summer and put a, a drip line on them or a soaker hose on them. Or, you know, have a few tucked into a corner in your propagation house where they're, you know, on a drip line or whatever the case is. Um, but having them pre-potted up is uh, a great idea. If you aren't that forward thinking, which again happens to everyone, um, Digging these up is very straightforward. Um, you know, stick your spade or your shovel into the soil um, five, six, seven inches away from the base of the, the mother plant. Um, 
try and keep some of that soil intact with the roots. It will make transplanting them at this stage in the game a little less traumatic for everyone. Um, get them into a two, three, or a five gallon pot um, and keep them at least above freezing. Um, like I said earlier, they do make very fine house plants. Um, I've carried them over in windowsills from year to year, um, and they do just fine. Um, they, they are very responsive plants. So if they're dry, they'll get wilty. Um, and you will know that because you just watched that happen. Um, and, uh, you can start propagating these, um, really at any point in time. It just is dependent on how much space you have available and how much space you want to dedicate to flats of, of these plants, um, at that point in the year. Um, I can remember going back to when I was propagating in the basement, you know, I would be taking geranium cuttings all winter. Like that's what I would do. I started geraniums before, way, way before we started ever, you know, doing dahlia cuttings. Um, cause you can do geraniums in November and December under lights. Um, but that's, that's too early for, for dahlias for sure. Um, at least it was for when we were doing it, I guess. I guess there's no right or wrong reason for that. You can do dahlias whenever you want to, but that seemed like a bigger commitment than some of this other shit. Anyway, um, uh, yes, carrying over, very easy, very straightforward. Um, I've heard people like digging them up from their containers and putting them in paper bags and keeping them in their like root cellars over the winter. Haven't done that. Don't know what to tell you there. Um, yeah, I've just had the best luck, I guess, when we didn't have the propagation house, just treating them like a house plant for a couple months until you're ready to start chopping them up again. Um, and then you'll be, you'll be good to go. So I hope that was helpful. I hope this was beneficial. Um, I know that sometimes, um, people want me to, or ask me for show notes or, you know, for me to write all of this down for you. Um, I'm probably not going to do that. Um, and, uh, you can go back and listen to this at any point in time. Um, and all of it's, all of it's there for you. You just have to pay attention and you can write it down and then you'll have it in your notebook, in your handwriting, the way you want to see it. And you can remember it that way. So there you go, toots. Um, I hope you have a great day. Um, as I've been recording this, I've been watching three very, very fat, fat robins fighting each other. Um, I know this is prime real estate over here, but my God, ladies, let's get it together. Um, and, um, next week we are talking about, oh, this is a good one. Uh, we're talking about group numbers for snaps and lisianthus, the crops that are, um, able to be be scheduled basically uh we'll oftentimes have uh different numbers so we'll kind of break into that talk about what that means next week and then the week after that is when we have another growers interview and uh this is a good one this is miss erica uh from the bloom flower farm in tennessee and uh She's a delight. I got to meet her this winter too. So you'll hear from her um the middle end of April. So I hope you have a wonderful day. If you're listening to this on opening day on Friday, have a great weekend. If you're not listening to it on Friday, have a great whatever the hell day you're having. And uh, we'll see you next week. So with that, 
I will talk to you then. Bye.